This is the John Clayton Show on 710 ESPN Seattle. Get in on the conversation at 866-979-ESPN. Now here's your host, the professor, John Clayton. Michael Bumpus joining us at the bottom of the hour, 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. Let's go to Jeremy in Kirkland. Hey, Jeremy. Hey, Mr. Clayton. How you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Long-time listener, first-time caller. I, I listen every Saturday. Thought I'd give you a call and start chatting with you. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, I've got a couple questions for you, Mr. Clayton. Um, what, did the COVID-19 change in the playoffs, or did it change in the regular season? Because you didn't really hear anything uh, on the media. Well, I mean, what they ended up doing is stop testing for the most part. And, uh, you, know, if, you know, one of the things that they did is that if you show symptoms – then you have to get a test, and if you don't pass the test, then you go on COVID-19. But they started that pretty much almost like pretty close to the beginning of the playoffs, and you can see the minimizing of the number of players who have tested positive because there have been hardly any. And so it's like that change, whether it's right or wrong, I tend to think it's wrong because I think that out of safety's sake, you need to keep testing everybody just for, uh, you know, the, the reasons that you just don't know. But, uh, you know, it's like because you 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 know what players are going to do. I mean, like, yeah. for example, if you like doing your work, uh, you, you know, and you've got uh, you, know, you think you have COVID-19 or you're not feeling good. You're not going to tell anybody. You're not right. going to say, well, my symptoms aren't too good. And, of course, you're the only ones who know what your symptoms are. And, you know, unless you're sneezing or whatever. But, uh, no, I think that uh, – but that's one of the reasons why there hasn't been very many positive tests. Right. It seems like there's a lot more on the line during the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mr. Clayton, fortunately this morning we haven't anybody call in and talk about uh, being a ref being traded somewhere, so that's good. I know. I mean, it's like uh, – isn't that amazing? Yeah. And, and you know what happens this week, right? What's that? Um, on Friday, Russell Wilson – you know, because, again, one of the things that the Seahawks do is that, you know, for long-term deals and guys that are under contract, you know, they'll either give guarantees five days after the Super Bowl or roster bonuses five days after the Super Bowl. And so Russell Wilson gets a $5 million roster bonus. Okay? Nice. And, again, that goes in his pocket, right? It's not like right. it's going to be, you know, for him making the roster this year. It's for being on the roster on, on Friday. And so because it's five days after the Super Bowl. And so that means, you know, if he is traded, it's a thirty one million dollar cap hit as opposed to twenty six. You know, his current uh, cap number is thirty seven. And so, I mean, doesn't that make it tougher to try to do something? Because now, I mean, you have thirty million dollars of dead money and no quarterback. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. I know I've seen uh, yesterday, it was either yesterday or the day before, he yeah. was talking about winning three more Super Bowls, doing mm-hmm. it here in Seattle. So, I mean, um, it seems like the national media tries to speak it into existence, the ESPNs, yeah. and then, the, I mean, they're just, they're trying to they talk won't stop. it into existence. Yeah. They won't stop. I mean, I'm just, I just shake my head because I've been yeah. saying, because I know that every uh, radio show that I go on, they, they ask me about it, and I said, there's not going to be a trade. Yeah, it seems like this back-to-back for the last two years. It's just like they're just trying to convince everybody in the media that Russ is going somewhere. And I think all of us local uh, that listen to the local yeah. media, we all just we know completely different. I mean, he's done so much in the community. I mean, he's mm-hmm. got everything going on around here that 
they're just up and leaving. It's, it doesn't make sense financially. Uh, I mean, you know, in the the money or just in the the way he's invested in the town. Right. I mean, and I mean, you you know how uh, that that is. It's like uh, you know, he he won the. Uh, you know, Walter Payton Award last year for all the stuff he does in the community. You know, I, th- I think I don't know if he's still going to Children's Hospital every Tuesday. You know, but he's so charitable and, uh, you know, he's, and he's so important. I'll give you the other thing that's there, too. I mean, you, you know, do you follow baseball? I do. Okay. So you, you understand they always have the thing war, which is uh, wins against replacement. Yep. Okay, a quarterback like Russell Wilson. Now, again, this past year, because of the uh, injury and everything else, he dropped down to like uh, you know 3.4. But in a normal year, he's going to be five. And so, for for example, uh, you know, if you give him the 3.4 and he gets back up to five, then this team wins nine or ten games and is in the playoffs. Okay. Then uh, if you take him away, uh, if it was going to be an 11 or 12 win team, it's going to be a six win team. Is that what you, yep. Yeah, is that what is that what you want? But again, top, no. top quarterbacks are five. Some might be as many as six. But again, top quarterbacks have a five win against replacement number. Yeah, you'd be hard pressed to try to find somebody to ever replace Russell Wilson. The guy's the guy's a legend here. Oh, agreed. There's no doubt. I mean, he's he's that good. And it's like, uh, and, and again, it's like you know, you, you trade him, you lose. You yeah, know, they like don't a, grow on trees, John. No, I mean, and you watched how many quarterbacks it took to get to Russell Wilson. Did you see him at the award show, John? He carried he carried us he carried the Seahawks so proud the way him and his wife Sierra they, they mm-hmm. just look they make Seattle just look great. Yeah, I, I didn't watch it, but I'm not surprised because that's him. Not, what do you think about the new coaches? I'm with uh, Dave Wyman and and Bob Skelton. Um, I don't think that we should be dropping our linemen back into coverage anymore. Yeah, I agree. Oh, I I, I agree 100. percent I yeah, mean, I, I didn't like that because again, it's like uh, you don't you don't want to see defensive linemen you know, dropping. Co- they don't know what they're doing in in coverage. No, and then when they let uh, they let them kind of pin their ears back towards the end of the season, look what Dunlap did. I mean, yeah, he kind of opened yeah. up the rest of the defensive line for a lot of a lot of other plays. Agreed. I mean, that's what and they then, that's the direction that they need to go. I mean, they need the defensive linemen to go forward, not backward. Yeah, that's what they get. The, that's what they get paid to do. And then, like Quandre said, they started sticking to the the coverage a little bit better when the mm-hmm. defensive line was applying the pressure. Exactly. Yeah. All okay. right, Mr. Clayton. Well, I appreciate you taking my call. I'll be uh, checking in with you a little bit more frequently now. Thank you so much. Eight six six nine seven nine ESPN two zero six four two one ESPN. Let's go to David in South Prairie. Hey, David. Hey, John. How you doing? Good. How are you? Well, you know what? I absolutely love. Sean Desai. This was my yeah. first pick. Really? Interesting. Over, Tell me why. Yeah, I just, you know, here's a guy who Chicago fired three, you know, almost, he went through three coaches and they all kept him. Yeah. That tells you one thing right there. Kresselman, mm-hmm. Fox, Maggie, every time there was a change, the one person they kept was Sean Desai. Right. That, that gives you a big boost right there. I just like his innovation. I mean, they were still a decent defense last year, mm-hmm. even though they lost Hakeem Hicks for a long time. They lost Akeem, you know, Mac for most of the season. Right. You know, so I just like the difference because, you, know, I, I, you know, I think Ken Norton's a good guy, but I think he really struggled as a defensive coordinator. Yeah, I thought he did he, okay, but again, it's like well, uh, I mean, dropping the, dropping the guys into coverage okay. I did not like. Well, that's the thing is, you know, did you listen to the Quandre Diggs podcast? Yeah, I did. And he, he was pretty much, hey – you know, we got to let rushers rush. You uh-huh. know, 
defensive back play defense. You know, calls were being missed. You know, mm-hmm. it was just mm-hmm. there was so much confusion. And I just think this is great for the defense. Yeah. And all these guys who talk about Russell Wilson, I mean, look, the guy had an off year and he still had 25 touchdown passes and yeah. six picks. I know. I mean, what NFL team would not take that? Yeah, I know. It's like a, it's not a problem of finding an NFL team that would take him. It's a matter of like, uh, how do you give him up? And then all of a sudden, well, I know, a... but even even on his worst year, he's yeah. better than 90 percent of the, the quarterbacks out there. That's because, again, I mean, uh, I know like NFL Network or NFL dot com just rated him 12th because of the offseason this year. Yeah. But again, you know, in a normal year, he's going to be the third or fourth best quarterback in the league as far as the ratings. Now, I like the change it off. You know, I know a lot of people don't like, but I like the change at offensive line coach. Yeah, yeah. I like it because it's more, you know, you. I think they were two were buddied heads. Waldron wants to run this way, and Solari's, he's kind of old school, big, yeah. deepy guys, smack uh-huh, you in the uh-huh, face, the, uh-huh. you know, the DJ Flukers, the Micah Potties, these kind of guys. doesn't work for the type of offense that they want to run. They right, need more right. athletic. You know, kind of like, remember when Denver Broncos years ago, they used mm-hmm. to have really smaller, athletic offensive linemen. Right, right. And, they're, and it, you know, it didn't matter who they stuck at running back, was getting 1,000 yards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I just think, you know, and they said they struggled this year, and I think one of the biggest reasons they struggled was at center. I mean, mm-hmm. let's put it this way. Pro football had Kyle Fuller and Ethan Posick as the two worst centers in football. Oh, wow. You know, it's just, you know, when you, you know, and I think I like Lewis and he did struggle and, and maybe gave Jackson, but I think the reason why they kind of struggled is they had to compensate so much for, I mean, basically these guys getting knocked on their butts. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, you know, if you go back, all the way back, we haven't had a decent center since basically Max, Max Unger. Mm-hmm. Well, what about, I mean, Rob, what about he, Robbie and then Robbie Tobeck? I mean, Robbie Tobeck was good. I know that was. I mean, you know, yeah. Tobek came out. I thought he was, before, you know, yeah. he was before Max Unger. Yeah, he me? was. Yeah. But I'm just saying, since Max Unger, you know, we've had you know converted guards and converted whatever, you know, and I think it really put a strain on the offensive line mm-hmm. that uh, you know that Gabe Jackson and and Lewis really struggled because hey, I got to compensate for this guy getting you know getting beat ninety percent of the time. Right, right, right. And if I was a defensive coordinator on the other side, I'd go and hey, there's the weak link. Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. where we're going. Yeah. So, but so. again, and and so yeah, you can see that they're now going with the Rams style of uh, you know offensive linemen. And, you know, what I wonder, because I think the Rams have three offensive linemen who are free agents, if they grab one of those guys. Well, I think in the draft, I mean, it looks like to me the draft is massively heavy in offensive defensive linemen. Yeah. yeah. And I've seen a couple of really good, you know, I watched, you know, I played through college, and I watched, like, the kid in Michigan, Mm -hmm. the kid. I mean, I I think, you know, people keep talking about tackle, tackle, tackle. I'm saying, no, no, no. We got to nail the. Well, yeah, you're not going to. You're talking about you know, top five pick, and, you know, this team doesn't have a first-round pick. Well, there's still quite a few really good centers out there in the draft. Oh, agreed. I mean, high-quality guys that I think could really do well. You know, they're not – they're kind of big, but they're very athletic. You Uh want a center that I think can really do – especially when you've got the Aaron Donalds. And, guys, you know, everything it seems like this year, the pressure – most of the pressure actually came up through the middle instead of Mm -hmm. outside. Yeah. And I think that's where we got killed because both our centers were not even mediocre. Coach yeah. to pro football, they, they were listed as to the two worst in the NFL. Uh-huh. So, 
But I think with the draft or even going in free agent, I think that's, to me, that is the point to go. Okay. I can, I, I, I wouldn't I, disagree. And, you know, and it's also my last thing is, you know, people keep cranking on Russell and all this stuff this year. People after a new offensive coordinator, people don't remember when Matt LaFleur first came to Green Bay. Uh-huh. That first year, Aaron, Aaron Rodgers stuck. Yeah. Remember? He, was, he, didn't, he, he, didn't like, he didn't like the offense. Yeah, he led the league in throwaways, mm-hmm. he didn't make the playoffs, and everyone said, oh, this guy, you know, you know didn't, next two years he wins the MVP. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, people take, like he always says, take a breath, everybody. Mm-hmm. Just take a breath. There I think Seahawks is going to go up. I think the Cardinals are coming down. I think the Cardinals are going to be a dumpster fire next year. Yeah, I, I have no idea what's going on with Kyler Murray. I just well, don't it's know. Like, look at the last two years. They started out like a house of fire. Uh-huh. You know, 2020, they were 6-2, and two, ended up 8-8. Eight and eight. This year, they were 8-0, and oh, ended up 11-7. and seven. Mm-hmm. So, to me, you know, you've got, they've, they've picked a lot of, picked up a lot of older veterans. Yeah. But, you know, J.J. Watt, they gave a huge amount of money to. Mm-hmm. Guys like that. And I think at the end of the year, it showed. And they're, they're, they are one of the oldest teams in the league. Yeah. And I think it just showed. And I think with the Rams... I think the Rams are going to be around for maybe one or two more years. Agreed. I think the two teams in our division that are really going to go is San Francisco and us. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I think, you know, with, with the youth. And I just think we needed this kind of just a little change. Uh-huh. But every once in a while, you have a bad year. You know, we won all those games over years and years and years by one or, you know, like 2020, we were 20 and we're 12 and four, we're 12, mm-hmm. and, 12 and four, right, right? Right. How many of those games did we win? Four or five of those games that we win on the last play. Mm-hmm. A lot. We had the Minnesota game, yeah, the yeah. Dallas game, the you know the Patriot game, and then this year we lost five games by three points or less. Right. So hey, I, but, but, but I've got I've got to run. Okay. Okay. Thanks, John. Eight six six nine seven nine ESPN two zero six four two one ESPN. John Clayton shows seven ten ESPN Seattle. This is the John Clayton Show on 710 ESPN Seattle and 710sports.com. 866-979-ESPN, 206-421. ESPN, Michael Bumpus joining us at the bottom of the hour. We're taking your text questions, too, in the Mac and Jack's text lines. What changes do you think we'll see on the Seahawks in the offseason? Well, you're already seeing them. You know, an offensive line change, changing the philosophy of the offensive line. You know, now, you know, getting... Uh, you know, different coaches on defense that uh, are going to be a little bit more aggressive. And then, you know, we'll see, you know, what they can do as far as everything else, uh, trying to, you know, get the, the best they possibly can. But in the end, it's like it's, uh, uh, it's one where, you know, they need to see if they can, you know, add more talent, which, of course, that's going to be the plan. Now that the Hall of Fame inductees, this is coming to 206, have been revealed, can we get the inside scoop on voting process this year? It's like it is every year. I mean, you take it from 15, you take it to 10, you take it to 5. And then, you know, it's like there's a debate. And again, you know, like, for example, I thought that DeMarcus Ware should have been a first ballot Hall of Famer. I thought that Jared Allen should have got in there. I mean, you're talking about, you know, uh, you know Ware with 138.5 sacks and, uh, you know, Allen with 134. I thought one of the receivers should get in. You know, you had... Certainly, Reggie Wayne, over 14,000 yards. You had Andre Johnson as a first ballot, over 14,000 yards. And you had Torrey Holt. But again, this is a good class. I mean, you have four defensive players in this class, four defensive players that uh, you know can 
uh, you know, do well. I'm happy for Sam Mills because if Sam Mills didn't make it, he was going to become a senior. And if that's going to be the case, he becomes kind of lost in the shuffle and you don't see his name for many, many years. So that was good. I mean, Bryant Young had waited a long time to get in there. Same thing for Leroy Butler. So it's like deserving for those guys. And then, uh, you know, so it's like, I thought it was a good class. You know, again, you know, but sometimes the guys that you think are going to get in don't get in, but eventually they get in because ultimately, you know, the inside scoop is that you've got 15 Hall of Fame guys that are all Hall of Famers. It's a matter of picking and eliminating 10 of those from the 360. Well, the Rams have, oh, let's go to Rich in Monroe. Hey, Rich. Hey, John, how you doing? I'm better now because the phones are back. <laughs> hey, I've been trying to listen, so I apologize that somebody's already yeah. asked this question. Um, between the two quarterbacks for tomorrow's game, who has a better quarterback rating? And who do you think is a better quarterback? Because generally mm-hmm. speaking, the teams with the better quarterback usually win. Yeah, I mean, again, I think right now the stats go with Matthew Stafford. Uh, you know, with the touchdown passes and everything else. And so I think that he has the advantage now, but Burrow is caught up to a point where you can argue that, uh, you know, he's equal to and might be a little bit better. But I, th- I think right now I would lean towards Stafford being the better quarterback. How about you? Who, who, do, you, who do you think? Boy, it's hard to tell. I was listening to Mike Sulk made a comment the other day. The other day it was kind of funny. He's like, the reason why Stafford's never been to the Super Bowl is because he throws too many interceptions. <laughs> no, the reason he hadn't been to the Super Bowl is because he was in Detroit. Right, yeah. I mean, Detroit didn't I, have talent. I, I, I agree, I agree. It was just a funny comment that yeah, he made. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but I, I personally think Burrow is better. He could I be, really could do. be. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, let's put it this way. Uh, if you look at the NFL Network... I was just doing this before I came down for the show, is that uh, they have Burrow as the third best quarterback in the league, and I think they have Stafford as number seven. So it's like wow. uh, you're, 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 you're not the only one that says that, and maybe you're right. All I know is that they're two really good quarterbacks. Yeah, it's going to be a great game. I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm rooting for the Bengals. I want the underdogs to go. I there think you go. They haven't been along. No. I don't think – when was the last time they've gone? Well, I mean, they they went like from uh, 2011 for five years. They just didn't win. I mean, they right. were in the playoffs, but they just didn't win. You know, they lost their first playoff game. This it's been right. 33 years since they've been in the Super Bowl. 33 wow. years. Wow. Well, I think it's I think they're due. Yeah, I would <laughs> think so too. Hey, thank you for the phone call. All right, thanks, John. 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. Coming up next, it's Michael Bumpus. This is the John Clayton Show on 710 ESPN Seattle and 710sports.com. And joining us is Michael Bumpus. And, Michael, boy, we got a lot to talk about. So so let's start talking coach, and we'll break it down one by one. First off, what was your thoughts when the Seahawks lost Ed Donatell to Minnesota to be the general manager? Um, you know, I thought it was unfortunate, but I thought it was a move up for Ed. You know yeah. what I mean? All this was speculation, right? We came and we're like, look, you might get Ed. 
Um, you got Desai over there. It'd be beautiful if all these guys got together. But when you see a guy make a move like that, even Pete Carroll, you got to shake his hand and say, man, good for you. I mean, you've moved up in position. You have more control. It's a different role for you. Um, I was disappointed, but I understand the move. Yeah. And of course, I mean, that's the one thing is that you kind of like that experienced hand to come in here, you know, who's been with Pete off and on uh, so many times through the years, you know, dating all the way back to like uh, 83. We're now on the University of Pacific staff together. But, uh, you know, I think that, uh, you know, but, you know, you're happy for him to get that defensive coordinator job and uh, a little bit of a surprise there. All right. So then the next move was, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get to Carl Scott in a second here, was getting Sean Desai. Your thoughts on that? Um, I like it. I like it, man. I think he's really going to help out in that secondary. I mean, they've shown when, when he was with Chicago what they can do. And it's more about, I think we, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, John. Yeah. It's just about having guys in the same room that can bring ideas to the table that will be well-respected. And I think that Desai has a great track record. And I think that Pete Carroll understands that as well. I mean, this is his, this is his, um, his victory lap, John. I mean, he's going to be out the league here pretty soon. So, He's got to surround himself with guys that have experience that are pretty young, I guess younger than him, and then have the the um, the charisma and can articulate great ideas that one Pete Carroll will understand, and two that this defense and these young players will grasp it, understand it, and run with it. Yeah, I mean, in fact, what did you think of the comments? I don't know if you heard them. You probably did. You know, by uh, Quandre Diggs, pretty much ripping. You know, what the Seahawks were doing on defense. Yeah, I heard him, man. He was he was honest, and I I appreciate that. It's rare that we get comments like that yeah. from active players, right? When guys retire and they're sitting behind a desk or they're talking on the radio like we do, that's when they get a little bit more candid. But I appreciate that Quandra Dix came out and said it because we were all thinking it, right? We're like, look, something's off right here. Um, they're not using guys the way we think they should be using it. So for Quandra Dix to come out and say that, I think it validates all the thoughts that most of us were thinking. And then it puts pressure on this coaching staff to not repeat the same mistakes, to mm-hmm. try something different, and to get more traditional. I think sometimes, John, guys outcoach themselves trying to be innovative. It's like, look, man, if it, if it works, then keep the things going. Yeah, you want to add some twists and some kinks to things, but a, a base defense can get the job done as well. Yeah, because I mean, that's the one thing. It's like to have guys – uh, on the defensive line, dropping back in coverage, that's wrong. I mean, they should be moving forward, not backward. And then uh, uh, you, you can see that was a big issue, and it just caused all kind of problems. I mean, it's like, are you trying to be a 3-4, or are you trying to be a 4-3? And it's like to have defensive linemen drop into coverage, that's just bad. Yeah, you don't, you don't have the personnel, to, or at least last year didn't have the personnel yeah. to be a 3-4. And 300 pounds is not meant to backpedal, John. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, forward. no and put pressure on offensive linemen. So I hope we don't see that. You know, every now and then, you know what I mean, you want to you drop your one or your three tech and, and try to catch guys by surprise. I'm good with it. But when it becomes a – it seems like almost a staple in your defense late in the season, that's where it becomes a problem. Yeah, and, of course, that's the one thing. I was like, You anticipate they're staying 4-3, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah I do. I do, yeah. So, all right, thoughts on Carl Scott as a defensive back? Carl – Oh, Carl Scott, I like it, man. I like it. You know, John, it's almost like I think I, I speak for the 12s where it's like you just want new blood. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, the, the guy could cannot have a great resume as far as, okay, he's been in the league 10, 15, 20 years. Um, he's worked with, with this pro bowler, this all-pro guy. You just want to hear new names because mm-hmm. you feel like they're going to bring new ideas. So I think we're just thirsty for new blood. Um, so, yeah, I'm all for it. 
Yes, and of course, I mean, he's only got one year experience in the league uh, last year being a uh, you know, secondary coach for the uh, Minnesota Vikings, uh, but, but he was at Alabama, and, you know, Alabama's real good at developing cornerbacks for Nick Saban and all that stuff, three years there. So that should be an interesting move. Then, of course, yesterday, the move on offense, which caught everybody by surprise, was Mike Solari getting fired and Gary Alexander, you know, who came over, you know, with uh, Shane Waldron, you know, getting promoted to be, uh, you know, coming in there as the offensive line coach. Reaction to that? Yeah, Solari, I mean, he's been around the block a few times, John. He was with the Hawks uh, when I was with the Hawks back in 08 and 09. And yeah. a good coach, he knows his X's and O's. Uh, but, you know, from what, I'm, what I was hearing, you know, a lot of the players just weren't really connected with him. And it doesn't yeah. mean that he's not a good person. doesn't mean he's not a good coach. But sometimes you just have to be able to feel the temperature of the room and kind of adjust your coaching to that. And maybe that was a problem. We all know that this guy can get on the chalkboard, line guys up, and beat man for man scheme versus scheme, but it becomes deeper than that. Can you change with the new generation? Can you evolve to the personality of your offensive lineman? From what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing, I think that was the issue. We all saw the run game get going late, you know, and that and you could put a lot of that on the players, but you have to point out the offensive line coach and say, look, he got these guys going. But it's all about starting fast and sustaining that. And if for some reason, he just wasn't connecting with these guys. And it, it might have been a, a mutual agreement, John. It might have been, look, you know what? I don't feel good here, Solari. Uh, the players aren't really feeling you. You're going to get hired somewhere else. He will be an offensive line guy in this league. Uh, but sometimes it's just time to move on and start fresh. So I like the move because, again, it's new blood. And if it was, if I felt Solari wasn't going to get hired again, I'd feel bad for the guy. But he'll be fun. Yeah. Do, would you agree with me what's going to end up happening is that now that puts him in a position to acquire you know, more athletic type of uh, offensive linemen? You know, because, again, it's like, you know, to be able to do the Rams offense and the Rams scheme that you, you need a little bit more athleticism. Yeah, I think the offensive line was going to be addressed regardless. And if it wasn't addressed, then I think that was going to be an issue. seems like every year this offensive line needs to be addressed. And if you can find a 300-pounder who can move, that's a diamond in the rough. You're striking gold there. So, yeah. Um, I agree with you. You need to get athletic. Uh, and, but most of all, you need to get guys who understand your scheme, who have experience in the scheme, whether that be on the college level or on the NFL level. You want to bring in a guy to where you're not having to hold his hand and talk through everything. You want a guy who's almost ready to go. So, yeah, I'm with you, John. That offensive line needed to be addressed regardless. But I think with the move of Solari getting pushed out, um, Alexander coming in, you've got to bring us a new blow on that offensive line as well. Always good to have an athletic big man up front. So now how much better do you feel about the coaching staff with these three changes? Man, I feel good. I feel good, John. Um, I feel good because this team showed at times during the season that they can be something good. Not necessarily special, not necessarily a top 10 defense or a top five offense, but there are glimpses of it, right? So how do you pull that out of your players? How do you pull that out of your personnel? Sometimes you need a new voice. John, I got a son. He's 11 years old. He plays football. I train him on the side, but about 70% of the time, I have him go to someone else because it's a different voice. He doesn't want the same voice that tells him to pick up the trash, to walk the dog, and do all that stuff. You know, I can say the same thing this other coach is saying, but because it's coming from someone else, you know, he might listen a bit more. So I think that's what I'm seeing here, and I think that's what need, needed to happen was that you need new voices to connect with these guys. And what it does, it gets the team energized as well. 
You know, you, you get into these meeting rooms, you're like, I cannot wait to hear what this coach has to say. I really want to see how he's going to change this defense or this offense. So I think it builds an excitement in the building with the players and the coaches. Yeah, no doubt about it. So uh, yeah, a good feel for this team right now as far as the start of the preseason? Yeah, I got a good feel, man. I got a good feel. I, I need to see I need to see some starters in the preseason, though, John. Yeah. I need to see They need to play one, at least one game, just so they get a feel because it felt like they started slow because of that. We can never say definitively that's what it was, but that was just the feeling I got from it. Mm-hmm, no doubt about it, yeah, because, again, it's like by just sitting the starters and all that stuff, I mean, you don't have a chance to get any better because, again, it's nice to be able to practice, and you know how good Pete Carroll's practices are, but it's also better to be able to do it in games because that's where the real thing starts. Yeah, and you want to get these, these new coaches time to, to coach in real game-like situations. Everything looks good in practice, John. Mm-hmm. You got helmets on, shorts on. Everyone looks fast and crisp. It gets real once those pads are strapped on, and it gets real for these coaches when you are in a legit third and four. What's going to be your go-to? How are you analyzing your players? What adjustments are you making for this defense and this offense? So the preseason isn't just for the players. They need those reps, but this new coaching staff needs to learn how to communicate in these pressurized situations and how to get these players to perform in these pressure situations. Yeah, and it's funny because, again, it's like uh, so many of the fans and so many of the people you know, wanted everybody fired. You know, They wanted Norton fired. They wanted Shane Waldron fired. You know, They wanted Pete Carroll fired. You know, they wanted everybody. You know, They just wanted major, major change. But, I mean, the one thing I think that you can see out of the uh, offensive line move is the endorsement Pete Carroll has for Shane Waldron. Yeah, I mean – in John, you know how fans are. Yeah. You know, they, they, they don't it's a it's a sprint for them, it is not a marathon. They think that all you all you have to do is just clean house and you can start all over. And you and I know we've been around the game a long time, you more than me, mm-hmm. and it just doesn't happen like that. No. You gotta take the good with the bad. You gotta you, you gotta bring in new blood, but you also gotta keep some of the things that made you successful. Forget what you think about Shane Waldron. He got his offense going eventually. And this this was his first time, John, as an offensive coordinator. He deserves another shot. So, um, and Ken Norton, yeah, I understand people want to get get rid of Ken Norton. He had a nice little run here. He has some good times as well. But it's about finding the perfect mix. Who do we who do we keep? Who do you get out of there? I think they're moving in the right direction. Okay, Super Bowl tomorrow. What's your thoughts on that game? Super Bowl, John. Man, this is probably the most confusing Super Bowl. <laughs> Thank for you. Me when it comes to picking, because you look at this Rams offense, you look at all the weapons that they have, and you say, okay, can this Bengals defense be the defense that we saw in the playoffs. John, they weren't that great during the regular season. I don't know what the defensive coordinator for the Cincinnati Bengals said to these guys. They're rushing three guys. They're getting pressure. They're, they're dropping eight. They're doing all these different things that I didn't really see during the regular season. And then I look at Joe Burrow. I'm like, the stars have a line for this kid. I mean, since he was 19, 20, 18, 19 years old, things have just happened for him. Like, is he the chosen one? Is he going to be the guy – um, to have this Cinderella story and complete it, it's so hard for me to believe in Cinderella stories, John, because mm-hmm. we know that typically the better football team with the most talent wins in this league. And I look at the Rams, and that's what I see. I just see a scrappy bunch with, with Cincinnati, but it makes me believe in that scrappy bunch because I love underdogs. Mm-hmm. So you're 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 projecting it's going to be uh, the Rams. I got the Rams, John. I want the Bengals. I got the Rams. Who you got? I have nobody. <laughs> I've done this now for three months, you know, because people ask me, it's like, well, who's going to go to the Super Bowl? It's like, I have no idea. 
It's like the way this unpredictable season has gone, uh, I'm not yeah. making any predictions, you know, because, again, you've seen the close games, the upsets and all that. And then everything confirmed my belief when we got to the divisional round and we got to the championship game. You know, because you tell me when you were thinking about the beginning of the season, were you thinking Rams and Bengals for the Super Bowl? Rams definitely not. I mean, excuse me, Bengals definitely not. Rams, I thought they would be in the mix in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. I, wouldn't, I wasn't thinking the Super Bowl. There's no way you can look at that roster and say, okay, these guys aren't going to be very good. But the thing that's confusing about these teams, too, is that the Bengals go down 21 to, what, three yeah. in the, the conference championship game. The Rams try to lose the game. Thankfully, the safety for the 49ers drops a pick. Like, neither of these teams are supposed to be here, John, but somehow, some way, they find themselves here. That's what makes it so confusing for me. I'm mm-hmm. like, who's going to show up? <laughs> what team is going to show up on Sunday? Yeah. By the way, what do you think is going on with Kyler Murray? <clears throat> he takes all his social media stuff off, you know, particularly anything involving the Arizona Cardinals, and, you know, he's in the, you know, the year where he can start working on a contract and that. What do you think is going on? John, man, I, I love the kid. I love his ability. I think he's going to be good in this league for a while. The thing that irks me about him is that he seems extremely emotional. Yeah. And at that quarterback position, you can't be emotional. I look at him when he plays. He's pounding when things don't go well. And then off the field, you're looking at him unfollowing uh, the Cardinals and stuff. He's just emotional. you know. And, and say what you want about Aaron Rodgers, right? Might not be the most likable guy, yeah. right? But he's he's not an emotional guy, though. Whether he's he's mad, he's happy, he's frustrated, he's pretty much in the same pocket. And I think that's what allows him to be great. And most great quarterbacks are even killed. When I look at the way Kyler behaves on the field and off the field, I just don't see that. So he needs to get with a mentor or something. Um, he's, it's okay for him to be frustrated, but, but you know, you got to put up that front, John. Mm-hmm. You can't let people in on all your emotions, especially at quarterback. Michael Bumpets, it's always great to talk to you. Have enjoyed the JC, Super Bowl. Appreciate you, man. Okay. 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. This is the John Clayton Show on 710 ESPN Seattle and 710sports.com. Our thanks to Matt Nelson for producing the show. Thanks to Matt Nelson for running the show. Uh, Let's go to Commando Dave. David, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great, John Clayton, because it's great to be back on the John Clayton Show on Super Bowl Eve, the absolute most bittersweet weekend of the year as we count down to Super Bowl 56 to watch the 2021 football season die a slow three-hour death. Shout out to Matt DMC Nelson for getting me on the airways of 710 Cairo, home of the Super Bowl 48 champion Seattle Seahawks and possible 2022 World Series champion, the Seattle Mariners, so I can bring it to the show. And while I'm giving shout-outs, John Clayton, let me give one to the memory and legacy of one of my all-time favorite football players who, as a kid, gave me many moments of excitement growing up when the Seattle Seahawks were non-existent and cheering for the silver and black. Number 21 was taking the top off secondary like they were sardine cans. The, the, the playing in a certain era argument is out the window when you're talking about Cliff Branch. He could play in any of them. Yeah. Long overdue to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. It's a damn shame that he and Kenny Stabler had to wait until they were dead to be enshrined, but for their families, the honor lives forever. And speaking of the Hall of Fame, John Clayton, I know I speak for a lot of John Clayton show listeners who miss the old days 
of the Super Bowl Saturdays mm-hmm. when the show wouldn't start until 3 o'clock because right around this time, the Hall of Fame voters would be sequestered in the secret room. Mike Sando in one corner, arm wrestling guys. You in another corner putting cats in headlocks as you made your cases for induction. And then you get on the air, sworn to secrecy, but it was just a kick. Talking to the professor, John Clayton, Hall of Fame voter in the immediate aftermath. Do you miss those days, John Clayton? Or oh, yeah, of course, no doubt. I mean, because, again, it's like uh, I missed being at the last two Super Bowls. You know, I've, I've been I've only missed before these last two years one Super Bowl. So I've mm. been to like about 45. Like, yeah. And of course, that's that's the thing that's so funny. They said, well, you're going to watch the pregame show. I said, no. Why am I going to watch the pregame show? It's like, you know, when I'm at the Super Bowl, you know, there's no pregame show to watch. We're in the press box. Exactly. Look, moving to the big game, John Clayton. After running the wildest playoff gauntlet we've ever seen, the Bengals and the Rams meet on the biggest stage in sports, Super Bowl 56, in the most impressive stadium a Super Bowl has ever been played in with some of the highest stakes ever to be on the line. And the Bengals, of course, are trying to erase the ghost of Super Bowl's past for the city of Cincinnati and establish a new legacy with a team with a very bright future. And the Rams trying to be the second team in as many seasons to win a Lombardi Trophy in their own stadium with the forum across the street and Dodger Stadium across town ready to welcome them to the club of Los Angeles world champions leaving St. Louis in the rearview mirror forever. And in a town full of stars, John Clayton, this, this game has stars. This game has rising stars, shooting stars, not to mention shooting the gap stars. The Rams have that offense that showed they can put you away at any time, but the Rams have a defense that shut out the Chiefs in the second half of the title game until there were double zeros on the scoreboard. The Bengals have an offense that proves they're never out of the game, and the Rams have a defense that makes big plays at opportune times. And you know every year, man, we get some of the Max Hedrons of football saying this matchup isn't sexy enough because of that, or this Super Bowl isn't sexy enough because of this. In my estimation, John Clayton, Super Bowl 56 couldn't be any sexier if it was called Super Bowl Eva Menendez. Bottom line, John Clayton, this game comes down to the Huskies. There are three Huskies on the Rams. Cooper Cup would have made four if Steve Sarkisian was paying attention, and the Bengals have two Huskies on their rosters. It'd be cool, uh, as everyone else is saying, I agree, to see the Bengals come from four wins last year to win a Super Bowl uh, this year, but like the Buccaneers last year, the Rams cannot lose a Super Bowl in their own house, period. And for any Rams fans out there, should that happen, I'm going to be lighting up the L.A. Rams forever. Either way, it's going to be a goodie. Best to Mrs. Clayton. Talk to you, John Clayton. Okay, thank you, and thank you, everybody. Great day for phone callers. Thank you all. We'll be back next week at 8. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle.